Brett, they're really getting confidence now. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Cuddy and the Cooge. This is a second episode in our equine segment. So we're we're moving right along with that. And we're live here at the the backstretch of the Racino harness track here with our our guest today. How are you feeling about this setup here? Pretty unique. Pretty unique. <laughs> Our producer, Chase, we like to challenge you, Chase. So <laughs> Keep me on my toes, that's for sure. <laughs> like to keep you going, but uh, but it's very interesting. It's a really unique setting, um, certainly a specialty that uh, I'm not very familiar with. And we have a gentleman with us today who has lived it for the his entire life. And um, so we're happy to have John Monjon as our guest. And uh, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying the name right, too. Last name <laughs> people get tripped up on once in a while. But <laughs> we practiced on the way over yeah, I practiced here. all the way over. I screwed it up about 10 times, but I finally got it right. <laughs> and for our listeners that we have, we're right at John's training barn. So he's got about, what, nine horses here currently? Nine horses, yeah. And um, they've got the farrier here. So if you hear a little bit going on in the background, we've got some horseshoeing going on and it's always something, huh, John? Yeah, a little clanging and banging. He likes to play with the anvil while he's shoeing. So, uh, yeah, we got a lot going on today. Well, we had a little uh, incident right before. John was kind enough to show us around and show us how farriers work. And the farrier forgot to tell John that there was a hot shoe. John grabbed the <laughs> shoe. So now we got a little blister on his fingers. He got to live with the rest of the day. I guess that's just. The hazards of the job, That's right? the hazards of the job. I'll get over it. As <laughs> Megan says, boo-hoo, get to the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Pour some Jim Beam on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So, John, um, you've been in this business a long time, from childhood, pretty much. So tell us a little bit about your, your history with your family. And Well, first of all, tell us what you do. You're a, a harness trainer. I'm a trainer of standard breads. Um, you can call them a harness horse, standard bread. Uh, standard bread is the term came from uh, the standard mile. Uh, they started that. I can't give you the exact date, but somewhere around the turn of the century, they used to love to race in the roadways in New York, and uh, they decided to come up with a mile distance. And to be considered a standard bread back then, you had to go a standard mile at a certain speed. And sake of argument, let's say two twenty, two thirty. That's where it all started. Now it's much faster than that, but that's basically where the term standard bread came from, the standard mile. Um, we don't race distances. Well, I don't want to say we don't ever. Every once in a while, we'll throw in an odd race, but it's usually one mile, and hence the name standard bread. Yeah, and a standard bread, so for, I think a lot of people would be more familiar with a flat track or like the Saratoga racetrack, which is a thoroughbred. What what are the major differences that you know about standard breads and thoroughbreds? Well, one of the biggest differences is that thoroughbreds, they run their race. They actually run. The standard breads have a specific gate, being uh, two gates, being the pace and the trot. Uh, the pace is a gate where the 
same legs on the same side are going forward at the same time. Where a trotter is the other gait, they've got the same side, one's going back and one's coming forward. Um, if you were to sit on their back, you'd get a nice smooth ride on a trotter. If you're riding on a, a horse, it's like riding a camel. If, uh, if you've ever watched camel walk on uh, hump day, the commercial <laughs> hump day, yeah. that camel is actually pacing. Okay. You get the rocky motion, hence the name, uh, what is it, Ship of the Desert, they yeah. call them, because yeah. of the rocking motion. Okay. But, uh, and the pacers as a whole are normally faster yeah. horses. But. Okay. I want to get a little bit in, more into in depth with, with that later, but why don't you take us back to to your family and how everybody got involved in this business? Well, it actually goes back three generations. My um, grandfather. Uh, was a coal distributor in uh, Honeyhead Falls, New York. And uh, he was the first. That's where our black and gold colors come from, is actually my grandfather, not my father. So he was the star on my mother's side of the family. Now, my father was a Canadian. He come from Canada, just uh, Richmondville. And he uh, came across the border in Buffalo, and that's where he met my mother. And uh, he took my mother's father's color. So the black and gold comes from my uh, mother's side of the family, actually, not my father. But So there were five kids. I've been training my own horses since 1980. I graduated high school in 79. I went straight into training. I worked for my dad for years. A couple other top trainers in the business that I would do after school hours. But uh, my career actually started in 1980 with my own horses right here at Saratoga. Um, so basically, that's how I got my start. Like I say, it's three generations. So I also, John, looking at your bio, uh, again, for being a novice in all of this, it says you attended a WSWHE horse care program. Oh, the BOCES program. I'm yeah. sorry. I forgot about that. Yes. I knew where my career was headed. I'm like a lot of kids that grew up in this business. So back in the day when I was in high school, um, they had a BOCES program. Um, and I took the program just because I knew that that's where I was going to be anyway. Yeah. And so I took an afternoon class, which lack of a better word, I excelled at only because I was in the business anyway, you know. I actually taught, this is something you probably don't see in my bio, I actually taught BOCES for about six weeks. My dad had taken over to class, and my dad suffered a, a vertebrae break in his back. So they gave me the class for six weeks. So I actually taught BOCES, too, for six weeks while my dad was out. What is what is BOCES? It's just like a trade. A trade school. Tra I'm sorry. I'm. I should have mentioned that. It's a trade school. You know, hor the horse program was there. You know, plumbing, beauticians, uh, heavy equipment. It's just a trade school. That's cool. Is that unique to New York, or is it nation? Na I don't know if it's nationwide. Uh, in this area, in the capital region, there's BOCES programs in just about every school district, I believe. Well, from the horses standpoint. You know, just reading through the training, it's pretty comprehensive. It's a very 
you know, detail, it seemed like to me a very detailed program to learn how to get into the business like you're in. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you got to kind of start from the ground up. I, I think that's where our business has kind of veered off. And I'm, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble with a lot of the younger. They seem to want to just jump into the business now instead of start from the bottom up. I started out cleaning stalls and rolling bandages and it took a while to start even jogging horses for as long as I was in it. And when I was, I want to say it was the 78, 79, it was my last year in high school. They ran a amateur event for, um, kids. And, uh, I believe you couldn't be older than 18. And I was 18 at the time. And that event started probably five years before, so probably 74 to 73. And these were kids from all over the country. And my father was very real about the whole thing. He told me I wasn't ready. I had friends that were 14 years old, and I stayed in a barn. I watched my friends drive in that series. And, you know, at 18, my father said, well, this year's your year, and you can you can drive if you want. And I think he's I think he saw it because I actually won the Saratoga chapter and I finished second in the nation. So, and I got beat a nose for the title, but, but, uh, yeah, so that, that was another thing you probably won't see in that bio, but, uh, yeah. yeah. How, how long did you actually race? How, I know you were a driver, right? How long did you do that? Well, I'm still qualifying horses, qualifying our races that you have to go in before you can put a horse in a regular race. It's like the thoroughbreds break from the gate before they can go. And they go, I think they meet a certain time. I'm not, I'm not quite clear on that, but I know they have to break from the gate here. Our horses have to go behind the gate and go a standard mile. You know, it depends on the age group of the horse. So, you know, say a two-year-old has to, has to pace in two, seven, a three-year-old has to pace in two, eight and an age horse, has to, oh I, I did that in reverse I'm sorry eight seven and two four um, so there is a you know as you go up in age so they have to qualify so so I, I saw too that you had some success along the way 2004 horse of the year called flapjack attack in 2009 hidden touch Philly mayor of the year earning that earns over three hundred sixty thousand dollars so here's where I'm curious you get a horse. And how do you know, I mean, I know it's time, but do you know right away or is it a process? It's, it's a process. Let me use Flapjack Attack as an example. Flapjack was sold in Ohio in an open auction and um, he was sold in the fall. And back then, that was really before we had cell phones that you could see videos on. So you really couldn't. You really had to study the horse, study his form, and take a shot. And you have to be really lucky. And uh, I got really lucky with him. He he was a three-year-old when I bought him. He had a, only a mark of 2-1. Um, there was a hiccup with Jack. I I raced him one start. He finished second. The very next start. He was on top going around the last turn, and he was probably, he was a trotter. I forgot to say that. And he was on top, probably 10 lengths, and a length is a is the length of a horse. So he was way out in front. And uh, 
he made a break and my brother happened to be driving him and my brother got off. He said, John, I don't know what happened. He was trotting smooth. Well, come find out. He cracked the top of his tibia in that race. So I had to wait another four to six months um, to get him back to the races. So there was a hiccup there. Yeah. It was a big hiccup too. And it was a scary one because we, we paid back then a lot of money. Jack was a $33,000 purchase. Yeah. So that phone call wasn't, you know, nice to call to the owner, but in the long run, we gave him the time. Uh, my blacksmith who is here today, Mike, we discussed how to shoe him up front. Cause I was positive. It was the way the other trainer had him shod. That was the problem. And I got lucky and I was right. He never had another problem with that leg. And he went on to be horse of the year here, which he was horse of the year on both gates. He, you know, he beat out the Pacers, which is hard to do because the Pacers really dominate that. But he did. Yeah. And uh, so how do you how do you know if a horse is going to be a Pacer or a, a trotter? trotter. Yeah. The breeding, the breeding. They, oh, okay. They're, they're so bred they're, to yeah. pace or bred to trot. Okay. You do get a you do get a horse every once in a while that you know can switch both gates. You know, years ago my brother drove a horse for my brother-in-law, and they have these series here at Saratoga. They call them the Spring Series. There's usually a name attached to them, and uh, there was a it was a pacing series for young horses, and he won on the pace, but he was actually trotting bred. So they switched him over, and don't you know that horse? He belonged to my brother-in-law, but my brother, Scott, who was also in the business, he drove the horse on both series and won both series, one on the pace, one on the trot with the same horse. It's, it's rare, but it does happen. You know? So do they naturally, like, so that you said they're bred to pace or trot. Yeah. So do they naturally, like, that's what they start doing as soon as they can get up and walk, or do you have to, like, teach them? Well, nowadays the horses are so well-bred that, uh, most of them will trot, even the pacers will trot young, but you do get some pacers that hit the ground pacing. Um, it's a little bit easier nowadays because of the breed. Back when I was growing up, it was a little bit different, a little bit more technical with the shoeing and the weights um, that you would have to put on the horses, especially the trotters. But um, I would say now they're, they're pretty well bred. It's, it's a little bit easier to train them down. Yeah, okay. So you said I read one of your articles and it says you got to be patient. That's kind of the key. But so tell us, because this is interesting to me for our listeners, the, what's the day in the life of John Monjohn? Because I, I know you don't have very many days off, if any. No, no, <laughs> so, no days off. I have to, <laughs> I have to manipulate um, to get a day off, and that's that's rare. I usually try to take a vacation once a year, which, believe it or not, I, I didn't do for the longest time. My brother Scott actually said, John, the horse are going to be here when you get back. Yeah. I, I'm kind of anal about being at the barn every day. And he was right. You know, they were, they were going to be here no matter what I did. And, uh, but the day in the life of me, let's see, I, my day usually starts, I wake up around 4.30. I, I'll have a coffee at home. I'll come into the track. I usually get here between five and quarter after five, and we feed the horses. And I have one uh, caretaker, one groom who works with me, and he he's usually early. He comes in about six, but we start, we pitch in. This is a little different than the thoroughbred game, too. A trainer over here 
and I don't want to insult anybody at the thoroughbred track because it's just a totally different game. Over here, it's more hands-on. I mean, I get in, I get in the stalls. I got a wheelbarrow, pitchfork, a rake, pull the horse out. We clean all the stalls first. They get fresh water. They get a little flake of hay while they're waiting to go out. And then we start. We harness them, and uh, the caretaker I have, he'll he'll harness them for me, and I'll do all the riding. And um, it, a training day is a little bit longer because a training day involves getting the horse ready to train. We train anywhere from half to three-quarter speed, race speed, uh, once a week. Some horses don't train, but as a whole, most of them, I would say 75% of them train once a week. Our horses are a little bit hardier. They need the extra work. They're strong. They race once a week. So that's why we train them the way we train them. Uh, the thoroughbreds, you know, they're, they're six weeks. Yeah, right. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole different game. So they do, a, they do it a little bit different than we do. But totally hands-on. And once we get done with that work, the horse is bathed up. Um, then that horse put in a stall and we start the whole process over with the next horse in line. Like I said, I have nine horses now. So each horse probably takes a good 40 minutes. It takes about 20 minutes on the track. And, uh, that part of it could be a little longer if it's a training day. Cause some of these horses go two trips. They don't go one trip. They'll go back to the track after a 20 minute blowout. They'll go back. So like I say, they train a lot harder. What do you mean by blowout? Blow out. They'll, they'll come in, they'll blow out, they'll relax a little bit, and then we'll go another trip with them on the track. So it's just all about building wind. So the, the training part, I know, is very important. And so when you're out there, what are you looking for out of a training session out of a horse? Well, it depends what stage the horse is in. Early on, when we're breaking the horses, which our horses are going to come in, we, we have a baby due to arrive today. Uh, hopefully it'll be after the podcast, but um, that baby will start out his process by being harnessed the very first day. And we'll do that in the stall. We'll put a harness on him and we'll let him walk around the stall and uh, he'll get used to the harness that way. And then we'll wait maybe an hour, maybe two hours. It depends what we're doing with the day. And he'll stay in the stall and he'll get used to that harness. And then we'll put a bridle in and then I'll get my buddies that help me break. It might be my brother or another trainer called Brian Cross, who's, who is stable next to me. And uh, we will take him out. I'd say we walk him about a mile the first day in the harness with a bridle on, and we teach him to steer. We have two lines, extended lines, because you don't want to get kicked. I would say from the horse's hindquarters to me, I'd be the one driving. I'll be about... 10 feet behind him because you don't want to be kicked. And then I'll have a line on each side of the horse, left and right, with a person on that line so the horse can't bolt because most of them will want to try to bolt. You know, it's, you know, if you've ever watched those Westerns with the Buck and Broncos, that's pretty much what they look like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, they're pretty smart animals. I, we can get them in the cart in about three days. Yeah. And then once they're in the cart, we're going. So that process and then that process becomes you train them down. If it's a trotter, it's, it's all about the shoeing and the waiting, and you're looking to see where their motion is coming back. And then I have a conversation with my blacksmith, how I want them shot. Pacers are different. Now pacers, you have to break them to what we call hobbles. That helps them stay on gate. 
The hobble is wrapped around the front leg and the back leg. It sounds bad, but it isn't bad. The motion, the horse catches on quick. The hobble is just there to remind him he's pacing. Yeah, okay. And um, so they're a little bit easier to get gated. Trotters are a little bit more difficult because you have to balance them with weight. And like I say, it all depends on their motion, how they're traveling. So that's what we look for in the babies. And that process will take you six months from the time you start to the time you race them, give or take the horse. You know, they might not make it. They might get another year off. Yeah. It might not be good enough. And then when you get to the point to where you're racing them, that's another whole process because now you're, now you're up to speed. You're training them. Um, all the way down, you're taking a process. I like to go two to three seconds every other start dropping them until we get to race speed. And um, I say that's a six-month process usually because you're taking your time. you got to build them up. you got to get them used to everything. Uh, this breed is very used to cars and trucks because we have the starting gate on the track, so they have to get used to that. The starting gate is a, is a mobile vehicle with wings that do fold when the horse is released. They have tractors on the track. There's trucks, there's motion all around us. The blacksmiths pull up in trucks. So our horses really do make good riding horses after their career because yeah. they're so used to everything. Right, they don't spook yes, very easily. Yes, they don't spook very easily. Although I was going to go back and, yeah. you know, you said like... I got ahead of myself, didn't I? <laughs> no, no, I was going to ask you, have you ever been bolted on? Like, have you ever been sitting in the cart and the horse takes Yes, up? yes, yes. <laughs> and, sure. and what I tell everybody, what I tell everybody is feed them racetrack. Yeah. The racetrack is there. Don't panic. Right. Feed them racetrack. Just keep and, them moving. And, and you'll, get them, you'll get them settled in. Yeah. The best thing is not to panic. The people is it that, scary? It's very scary. It's yeah. very scary. Um, I've never been... To the point where I was afraid that I was going to get hurt. Right. So I, only because of the experience. Right. I don't want to sound like like I'm poo-pooing it. I'm not. I've, I've seen people, you know, get seriously hurt with a bolted horse. But um, I learned from a very young age with my father that just feed him racetrack. Just holler, you know, let people know you're a little out of control, but that track's big out there. And if you just feed them, they'll tire. Right. They'll get tired. You just right. can't panic. You know, when you panic, that's when you get in trouble. Yeah, that's something similar that I learned with, you know, doing groundwork is that, you know, if the horse, like if you're going to catch a horse, a.k.a. like put a, put a harness on, if that horse wants to run, make them run then. And then eventually they'll come, they'll put that harness on, you know, because they want to eventually they want to settle down and and do what you're asking. So. This episode is brought to you by Therapeutic Horses of Saratoga. Therapeutic Horses supports retired racehorses and leading a peaceful, safe, and meaningful life by rescuing, retraining, and utilizing horses and therapeutic programs. THS partners with licensed mental health therapists to provide equine-assisted learning services. The mission of Therapeutic Horses of Saratoga is to rescue and retrain retired racehorses to become valuable partners with people engaged in therapeutic programs. If you are interested in learning more about the mission of this organization, head to their website, thsaratoga.org, or you can email them any of your inquiries, info at thsaratoga.org. Um, you mentioned earlier... You know, you're using the terms like jogging and training. 
So can you give us a little bit of like the differences in when you're just jogging a horse and then when you're actually training a horse? Well, jogging a horse is really a daily routine here. That's basically what we do on the backstretch. Training is once a week. But jogging, when I say jogging, it's like a, a very light exercise. It's almost like watching a human uh, jogging down the road. They're not running at full speed. Mm-hmm. Um, running at full speed would be a marathon or a, or a session on a track with a human. And right. training would be the same thing on the main track racing. Right. Jogging is basically that level, easy speed. I would say we're probably traveling between 10 and 15 miles an hour. We're at race speed, leaving the starting car, we're probably about 35 miles an hour. And if you don't think that's fast, you got to do what we do. That's really fast. fast with four <laughs> with four legs in front of you and seven. We usually go eight horse fields, seven other horses around you. I think that's yeah, very fast. Yeah. It's at our racetrack. It's really a misnomer when you're watching from the side because it does look like they're traveling slow. But when you're right in in it, it's it can be a harrowing experience. I, believe me. <laughs> well, you know, when I was looking at doing a little preparation for this, I I saw where. Horse, these horses run between, you know, 30 to 36 miles an hour. And I'm like, man, that, and you throw in, what's the cart called? I'm, uh, um, we call it, there's two terms for the cart. The technical name is sulky, sulky but yeah. we call it a race bike. That's just the terminology here on the backtrack. Um, it's been a race bike to me ever since I was a little kid, but the technical name is sulky. Yeah, that's and then, but what we use—that's not what we use on a daily basis. We use what we call a jog cart because we're jogging the horses and we train the horses in the jog cart. They're a little bit longer and more comfortable to sit in. They're more level to the horse. Where, um, if you don't mind me touching back on the race yeah, situation, yeah, we get a misnomer in this business. If if we're watching and I. I I really feel bad for the public at times. And I just came across this um, just two weeks ago. I was talking to somebody that actually heard my last name and looked at me and said, are you the guy that races and trains horses at Saratoga Harness? And I said, that would be me and my brother. Um, Depends why you're asking. Yes. (laughs) But I owned up. And he says, you know, I really used to like that track, but I find in the last 15 years, he was an older gentleman, that I don't like it so much because I realized that you guys are holding your horses back. And I looked at him because I knew exactly what he was talking about. I looked at him and I said, are you talking about the drivers leaning in the race bike? He says, exactly. They're holding their horses back and it's tough as a better to bet them. And I proceeded to explain to him that it's it's very hard. I'm, I hope I explained this right. The way the race bikes are designed now, the front part of the shaft connects to the side of the harness, mid-belly of the horse. You come back about six inches, and that shaft goes from being a flat shaft to dropping probably a good 12 inches to the wheels with a bar going across, I hope I'm explaining this. Yeah. The bar coming across, the seat is attached to. The seat is offset of that bar. Yeah. To create lift. 
the lift is created by the driver leaning. And the theory behind it is if you lean, now I weigh about, when I drove, I weighed about <laughs> 185. I weigh about 210 now. So that's a lot why I don't drive anymore. <laughs> but, um, a driver leaning can create lift. The lift creates lift on the horse. The horse reaches for the racetrack more. So mm -hmm. he's digging more into the racetrack. And believe it or not, it makes him go faster. Right. Where the old style race bikes were straight back. The, the seat was right on that bar coming across and went tire to tire. And there was no lift to the right. bike. So really, and, that's a strategy. Leaning right. Back. When they lean back, they're creating lift to create speed on the horse. So let Makes me sense. get this straight. So when you're sitting on the sulky and you're holding on, what? where is the things that are in your hands that you're holding on attached to the horse, to their mid-belly? The handholds are attached to the bit in the horse's mouth. Okay. In the horse's mouth. So the cart and is attached to the horse's right, belly. Right. Right. It's attached. The shafts, the shafts run about mid to three-quarter belly, according to how the driver or trainer wants them set on that particular horse. Usually no lower than mid-belly. I would say about three-quarters, probably, you know, 68% of them mm -hmm. about there. And like I say, then it drops down. Yep. And there's where the lift. And with the offset seat, the driver leans. And I explained this to the gentleman, and he seemed to be a lot happier after I explained <laughs> it. Good. And then, but, uh, and then, so you're holding the horse with the bit in their mouth right, for to steer, right, essentially. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, John, I've been to, you know, some of the races and also been to thoroughbred, obviously, but little different you know you're you're in a cart so is there you know community like obviously you you know sometimes horses will veer thoroughbreds and they'll bump each other in this that would be pretty catastrophic could be could right so do jockeys communicate more in your race or yes if if a horse goes off stride which is he's going into a gallop into a run right we have to clear that horse. So, yeah, there is a lot of, it's a scream more or less. Yeah. And it's a scream, hey, watch out, watch out. And then you're either moving the horse left or right to get out of the way. But back to your point, yes, we do hook wheels. And, yes, it does become very catastrophic. I've seen some major accidents. Yeah, 30 um, miles I've been an part hour. of those accidents. I've been rolled out um, by hooking a wheel. And uh, it's not fun. I, w I was actually blessed when I got rolled out. It's only happened to me twice. Both times I curled up on the track like a turtle, and both horses went over top of me that were right behind me, and I never got a scratch on me. So I was actually lucky. But there's some guys have been, you know, seriously yeah. hurt. Seriously. I have, a, I have a really good friend who is still training here at this track. I don't want to mention his name, but he suffered a major concussion and uh vernon and he was young and very talented and i've always felt bad about him he took himself out of racing he trains now and i really thought his forte was going to be driving he was that good yeah but he became short-term memory and he because i actually asked him i didn't realize he had gotten hurt that bad and he said john i can't you know it's the short-term memory and i don't want to be the reason for somebody else, you know, mm -hmm. 
um, getting hurt. So he took himself out of the racing game. Yeah. Which, uh, I, as a close friend, I didn't even know. I knew he suffered a concussion, but I didn't realize to what extent he had suffered it. So, right. yeah, there's... Yeah, you know, I, I, well, that, moving that fast in a cart, yeah. I mean... And it, it happens quick. Yeah, yeah I would think know, so. From the side, it really doesn't look quick. And I, that's why I tell people. And, and when we have owners in the business, you know, our business is, is unique in the fact that you can train and drive the horses. And then you're explaining, and that's a lot of why I went to straight to training. I didn't have the mentality to forget that last race. Mm -hmm. And especially I did a lot of training where I had to answer to my own owners. I did do a lot of catch driving, but I just didn't have that mentality. I couldn't forget it. And if an owner that belonged to me, you know, they're paying me. And then I got to explain to them where a catch driver, which is a driver that doesn't train, he's just driving he can walk away mm-hmm. right well i had to answer to my owners and right. i'm like you know as much as i love to drive racehorses yeah i said i think my forte is going to be more in the training end of it right. it's kind of like you're shitting where you eat right exactly you know? <laughs> exactly and yeah. so you know i that run you were talking about that was a 10-year run i had that was a major run for me i was 10 yeah. years where i had some of the best horses here uh, my routine was my brother Scott, who doesn't do much driving anymore, uh, he drives here and there with his babies, but basically he's like me now training, but he drove a lot of horses back then. So if he didn't drive my horses, I had Brian Cross drive my horses and a few of my other friends on the backside, but mostly Brian Cross and my brother Scott. And if either one of them couldn't drive, then I did the driving myself. Mm-hmm. But basically they were the two when I had that 10, I had about a 10 year run where I did really good. And then, you know, it's been mediocre since, Yeah, you know, it just, they, like I said, I was real lucky that 10, 10 years, years is a I, long time. Yeah. yeah. I, couldn't do, I couldn't do anything wrong during yeah. those 10 years. And yeah. the last two years, I can't yeah. do anything right. Yeah. Hey, it's bound to come back yeah, around. Yeah. But. So here we are, we're sitting at your barn and and we're doing all this great, great atmosphere. You know, it's got to be fun coming to work, I would think, you know, looking for your next challenge. And I mean, is that what keeps you going? I mean, how long, you know, how long do you plan to do that? I mean, you just, you know, like you said, you know, you do take a vacation, yeah. but are you going to be one of these guys that will come back here in 25 years and you're, you're going to be still going at it or What's the what's the I, lifespan of a trainer in the horse business? It's a lifetime occupation. <laughs> so, I, I'd like to say, you know, I, I joke about it all the time that I want to retire. And I talk to my wife about it all the time because my dad did live the life. He, you know, he traveled a lot when we were kids. He, he was a, a great man and a great teacher. And yes, he was my dad, but um, he was... If I could live up to everything he was, I would I would really love to be my dad. Um, but I think he went too far. You know, he spent all his time. Of course, he loved it. He spent all his time. When he did retire, he stayed with uh, Scott and I. Uh, Scott and I, I know we're on uh, mics right now, and it's a podcast. But just behind Megan, there's another barn. And behind that, there's another barn. They were actually mine and my brother's barns. Uh, I was the first barn and Scott was the second barn. And my dad kind of retired, but he was like the barn manager. He would go through both <laughs> barns and make sure if me and Scott were on the tracks, because we had a lot of horses, Scott and I, at the time. And uh, we had both those barns full. You're talking 20 horses on each side. And uh, two different businesses, though. 
but we just happened to be located next to each other. And dad kind of ran the gamut yeah. until he passed away, but he was our bar manager. That's, That's cool. So yes, Family so your business. answer is I'll probably be here. I, I might cut back. I'd like to cut back, but um, my forte right now is this time of year. I, I've been looked upon, blessed by some of the trainers in this business that they realized sometimes I feel like I'm patting myself on the back that, that I am good with babies. So a lot of trainers turn their babies over. Like there's one baby right now getting brand new shoes on. He's, he doesn't belong to me. He's, he's another trainer's horse who I'll get ready to race that there's another baby coming in who is another trainer's horse. It isn't mine, but I'll train that horse. I'll break that horse. That's became my forte. That's, that's what I do. Uh, between me and my brother and Brian Cross, we'll probably break 20 horses this year. Um, and that's kind of been a standard for us. Yeah. Um, Do you think this is my next calling? I could come be your apprentice. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Especially this time of year. (laughs) We need that third person on the line. (laughs) We jump in, Kujak. So speaking of this time of year, so harness, how, what, what do you do in the winter? Like, like I know like thoroughbreds, they just go from track to track, but you don't do that, right? No. As a kid, I did. My father, okay. my father would race in central New York. I grew up in a um, small village called Vernon. Some people might know the name Vernon Downs. Um, that's yeah. a track in central New York. I, I was there until I was about, uh, oh, I want to say fifth grade. And um, then my dad went to a training center in Syracuse at the fairgrounds, which to everybody's dismay, our governor, Governor Cuomo, tore that racetrack up, and I didn't think that was possible. That was a historical landmark, and so that track in Syracuse does not exist anymore. Uh, And we did train there for five years, and then we moved to Saratoga. But we used to go, getting back to my father, we used to go to Florida. Okay. And as a real young kid, it was almost like being a gypsy. We would go from Vernon to Batavia to Buffalo. So my schooling really got screwed up in a way. Yeah. Um, we did, you know, my brother and I definitely graduated high school, but it was more schooling by uh, racetrack than it was anything <laughs> else. And we did spend some time in Florida. But then the business kind of took off and the mentality was like Saratoga was just a summer place to be. We did run longer here than the thoroughbred meet. When I first came here to thoroughbred meet was – I want to say 21, 22 days. I could be off by a day or two. They, they call it a four-week meet. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, And that progressively got longer. But the harness track usually ran about five to six months and then shut down for the winter. Okay. And some people here would go to Florida. Some people here might stay here and train all winter long. And that's what we do now. We have about 147 days, I think. And we race um, up until... It'll be the second week in December. Last year was December 18th, I believe. I'm not sure. It'll be the second week in December, but I'm just not sure of the date. But we'll train here after we close. We will still be here every day. I know, but it's a it's a year round. Snow (laughs) snow's removed. The track does a really good job of removing (laughs) the snow. And um, we had a geez, a good two and a half foot snowstorm last year. Yeah. And within 24 hours, we were back on the track. They had this place cleared right up. And wow. um, if you could see this grounds here, you know, you're talking a good 
20 acres on the back stretch, if not more. And if you include the main track, it's probably 40 acres. Mm -hmm. So they did it. They do a good job. So you, so you will literally come to work and take a horse out when it's 10 below zero, 10 below zero. They're athletes. They have to get out. You know, you'll get the odd day where you say, ah, enough is enough. It's the wind chills minus 10. And you know, you'll, you'll take that day, but you can't leave them in. I know they're athletes. They, they have to move. Right. That's interesting. I, I, I would have thought like your horses all went south for the winter, like the birds, you know? (laughs) No, when I was a kid, my dad did. Yeah. Uh, Me and my brother, Scott, were not happy. We were hockey players. And for about a five-year run, my dad loaded us up and took us to Pompano Park every year. And we were not happy kids, I'll tell you that. Um, So, John, give us your your fate, one of your favorite horse stories, whether that be like at when you were racing or just at the barn or something that comes to your mind that's just like, sticks out to you that's super memorable i have a lot of good memories i I have a lot of good memories a lot of good owners jeez i i think i think one of the funniest highlights i might have had uh my dad was still alive then and i was telling you about how scott and i were across from each other and i had this horse called speed lunker he was an he was a very nice horse too he might have been the start of my run he was a sire steak horse and he had to travel the Buffalo to race. And Scott was driving for me at the time. And Scott had won like five out of seven starts with him. And Scott swears he didn't tell me this, but he did not want to go to Buffalo. And I just smiled at him and said, you're making a mistake, Scott. I don't think Scott thought he looked at the race and Buffalo was a tough track to race on. It's a sharp turn, blah, blah, blah. And Scott really didn't want to go to Buffalo. So I looked at him, I said, that's okay, Scott. I'm going to go to Buffalo. I said, you know what? I'll drive him myself out there. I'm not going to hire anybody. I'll drive him myself. <laughs> it was a major stake. We we're going for like 50-something thousand. And um, so I went out there. I actually told my brother exactly how the race was going to go before I left. And my dad's taking this all in. And back then, if you won a sire stake race, they gave you a cooler. And a cooler is a blanket with... The, they're blue and yellow coolers in New York State, the blue and yellow for New York State. And it had a horse on the side, and it says New York Sire Steak on the side. So it was always a big deal to get that blanket because it was tough to get that blanket. And he had gotten a few of that horse. So I went out there, and don't you know I won the race? The race went exactly how I told Scott the race was going to go. <laughs> so I we drove back. This is a tough business in the sense that we do a lot in a short time. I trained my horses that morning. I drove out there that night. I raced the horse, won with the horse, put the horse back on the truck and trailer. I was here at five o'clock in the morning. Wow. And my father was waiting for me. When I loaded the horse, dad, back then we still didn't have the video and he, you couldn't see it on TV. He said, how'd you do? And I, I said, the horse won. And I said, I got a blanket. Well, Scott's barn had a clothesline. So I hung that <laughs> that blanket on the clothesline <laughs> with the New York Sire Steak moniker on it. And um, we sat there, my father and I, we sat in a chair and we had a coffee and we're waiting for Scott to pull in the barn. And I would say it took a half an hour and he pulled in the barn and kind of got out, glanced over at us, but didn't ask about the horse. He took another three steps and looked up and 
saw the blanket sitting there. He turned around and I can't tell you exactly what he said to me. <laughs> Called me a few names. <laughs> and I just sat there and laughed at him. So if I had to say that was one of the That's better awesome. moments, I had dad and Scott there and it was a family thing and it was yeah. a good time. We laughed about it after. Cool. Cool. Yeah, that's a good So speaking of your dad, I know, uh, you have a uh, the John Mon John trotting series. You just had the ninth annual yeah, the memorial memory of your dad, yep. right? How'd that come about and what all's entailed for you and Scott? Well, um, we can race in that race and Scott did win it this year with one of his own horses. Unfortunately, the reason it's the John Monjohn Senior Memorial Trot is my dad was known for his trotters in his day. He had a lot of good trotters. That was his forte. And when he passed away, I don't really know who asked the question. Um, I wasn't involved. They did, did ask Scott. I believe it was the race secretary. He said, I'd like to name a race after your dad. He was part of the history of the track and we would like to have a race named after him. Is that okay with you? And Scott said, sure. And I wasn't, I would have never turned that down. So no, that's Scott awesome. was speaking Absolutely. for both of us. Yeah. Sure. So that's basically how that came about. And it was such an honor this year that Scott had the right horse at the right time. And uh, she performed very well. And uh, she won the whole series. That's so cool. that was very nice that he got to win my father's yeah, race. Yeah, right. So, that's sweet. Really and, uh, sweet. Um, I have two more, two more things before we, we let you get back to your day here. So one of the questions that we've kind of brought into our show is if you could look back and speak to your younger self, what's a piece of advice that you would give your young John back in the day? To be perfectly honest with you, go to college. I didn't go to college. I've, I've been blessed with a beautiful wife, a very smart <laughs> wife. And uh, they, she has a business degree and also a master. She teaches the fourth grade. Both my daughters, very blessed. I know I'm dragging this out, but I just have to mention them because they are my world. Mm -hmm. One's a PA. She works in an emergency room out at um, Upstate Hospital in Syracuse. And uh, the other daughter works as a lobbyist for the healthcare field in New York State. Cool. And um, seeing their experience at school and going to the schools, I feel like I missed out on a lot. I did have the grades to go to school. It's not that I was one of those people that didn't have grades. I had the grades. I did have an opportunity to go to school. I was offered a scholarship. I turned it down to go into racing. Yeah. But I really wish I would have had that education behind me. Mm -hmm. The other thing I regret is not sticking to driving because that was my first love and I should have stayed a driver. Yeah. I, I, I drove my horses. I drove them to my best of my ability and I always had luck with my own horses. Uh -huh. Um, I think I caught myself short. I took myself out of that part of the game and I really wish I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. I, I enjoyed driving my horses. I still do. When I qualify a horse, I still enjoy qualifying, but yeah. now I'm, I'm 61, be 62 in two weeks, and that's passed me by a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> My dad's clicking his throat over here because yeah, I didn't go to college. I, it's, I, it's, I had a feeling. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> Which I feel fine about, so yeah. oh, I don't yeah. regret it. Me too. I just think it's great. <laughs> it was just that I just saw what my daughters did. Yeah. And, and like I say, I was just so blessed. Yeah. I was, I was blessed 
with the right partner in life. Right. And then I right. got blessed with two daughters that, you know, I can't say enough about. Good. Yeah. And your your one that. just got married too, right? Yes. Recently. Good time. Good time. Good times. Good time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. The last thing. Do you have anything, any hot tips upcoming for our listeners? Like, look out for John Monjon. Look out for this horse. Oof. I don't know, really. I really don't know. I my dreams, I think, are coming next year with the young ones coming in right now. My my racehorses, they're they're nice racehorses. They're just I don't have the high quality racehorses that I would like to have right now. Um, I do train one trot mare. She's won the open the last couple weeks. She's had uh, she's won two open trots here. Uh, What's her she's name? Won, er Sophie. She's one to look after because she's been pretty consistent. She's she's just short of seventy thousand dollars this year, and she's been trotting really good. My brothers helped me out a lot with her this year because I've had to take some time off for for uh, health reasons, but um, she's been trotting really good. Cool. So she's one to watch. But. All right, you heard that. You heard it here heard first, it. folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, John, thanks so much for joining our show. You're welcome. Uh, it's You're been welcome. very educational, and obviously, the success that you've had has been really uh well deserved over the years and thank you wish you and your brother continued success here and and hopefully um you know you'll sometimes find the time to do a little bit more and uh but but continue to enjoy it it's it's a very intriguing business and certainly uh, we enjoyed having you yeah it's nice to wake up to do something you want to do absolutely love absolutely that's good and thanks for having me thanks john thanks john thank you all righty Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge. Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.